All right. That was a lot of announcements. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with me. Grab your Bibles. Open them to 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you're using the Pew Bible, as I am, uh, that is page 251. Uh, we are wrapping up this week and next week uh, a series. So if you're new here this morning, if you check, our, check out our website, odcc.org, uh, all of those sermons are available online. And uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure that we can summarize everything so no one's lost in the story. Over the last uh, two weeks or so, though, uh, remember with me that 27, 28, and 29 were kind of one big story arc where this guy who was anointed to be king, David, is kind of in conflict with another guy who is the king, Saul. And both of them have situations of fear and pressure, and there's a lot going on. And so this leads them to both make a series of very bad decisions. They compromise, and compromise stacks on top of compromise, stacks on top of compromise, until we get to this place where David especially commits some grievous sins. And that's what we talked about last week. Um, so we'll get some maps up here. So here's our world. Here's us. Here's over here, Israel. This is the kingdom during the reign of Saul. And we're talking about especially this area right here. So they were coming up. The, the Philistines were marching this way. Uh, Saul was encamped here. And they were the Philistines who are their kind of arch nemesis, the, the jokers, if you will. And they, they're marching this way. Joker's just one, though. I need a good supervillain team, and I'm blanking. Anybody? Go ahead. Well, no, that's not a team either. Brotherhood of Evil, I don't know. The Cabal of Doom. Is that a real thing, or did you just come up with that? I like it. Cabal of Doom. This is the Cabal of Doom. And they are marching to go to war. Now remember with me that David then, who is, is Israelite, he is going to be the future king. Like we, we know all this stuff about David. We've seen David be incredibly faithful to God in moments of great pressure, in great trial. And yet what are we seeing David do last week? He is marching with the Philistines because he was afraid. So he goes down, he moves in with the Philistines, the Cabal of Doom. And now they are marching to go to war against his brothers his uh, people, God's people. This is a really, really, really big deal. So David uh, faces these problems. He faces these internal pressures. He faces this, this fear that he's got. And he makes knee-jerk reaction. He makes immediate decisions thinking, I need to decide right now what to do. And this leads him to make these really terrible choices. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible because this story taking place maybe 3,000-ish years ago is so like my life today. How many times this week did you act on instinct rather than prayer? I mean, all the time. Because we have the same kind of thing. I mean, not the cabal of doom necessarily or the mad king trying to chase you down and cut your head off. But we face all kinds of pressures, all kinds of trials, all kinds of fears, all kinds of issues. And from work to kids, it's all this stuff. School, if you're in school, well, you're not in school, you're out of school. So now your parents are feeling even more pressure. <laughs> and what do we do? We make decisions. Rather than seeking the Lord and praying to God. This is an incredible moment here this morning. I want you to realize this. That 
We have gathered here this morning for something that you do not get anywhere else in America during the week. There's no place in our society where you will go and hear Scripture calling you to live up to the highest expectations while at the same time acknowledging that we often fail and so we need the grace of God. This is an incredible thing. This morning we are going to talk about truth. Truth that you do not hear at school. Truth that you do not hear on the news. You won't get it on Netflix. You won't get it if you listen to the radio. You won't get it if you talk to your friends. It is truth that calls you to this principle first. God must come first. And David has forgotten that. Have you? Have you forgotten that? Chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. David has marched with the Philistines. They didn't trust him, and so they sent him back home to the city of Ziklag. Ziklag. It's still fun. Every week. He comes back to Ziklag, and this is what they find when they go back. Verse 1. Now David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, so it took them three days' march to get, to get from where they were at, Aphek, down to Ziklag. He comes down. And the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev, or Negev, depending on your translation. All that word means, it sounds fancy, it's not. It just means south or southern. So the Amalekites came in, remember, they're kind of down here, and they made a raid at the southern region here of Judah, and they also lumped in Ziklag into it as well. They burned it with fire, verse 2, taking captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off, and they went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found that it was burned with fire. You can imagine the panic. You come home, and your house is on fire, and you left your, your wife or your husband and your kids in the house. How quickly do you go from zero to 60, right? I mean, you're racing. David and the people raced, raced to see where, what's going on there. And they get there and David and the people uh, with the, him raised their voices and wept until they, could, had, until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives were taken. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people then began to speak of stoning him because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for their sons and their daughters. But David, and here's your, your line to underline in your Bible, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. As a husband and a father, I can really, uh, I can kind of get some resonance, some feeling about what David and his men might have experienced seeing their homes ablaze and, and racing to it and kind of expecting the worst. Because remember, what had David been doing for the past year and four months? Raiding, doing exactly what just happened to him, right? You could kind of smell the irony here. And so they're expecting to find bodies, and they get there, and there's no bodies. Now, does that bring you comfort, or does that bring you terror? Terror, because you know what happens to women who are captive by men. Terror, because you know what might happen to your boys before they're sold off as slaves. 
And remember, this is a time where there's, there's no FBI, there's no terrorist organization saying, we did it, you know, there's, there, there's, there, there's no recourse. There's just footprints in the sand. There's just, there's just hooves. They, they can kind of get the general direction, but they don't know who did it or where they took them. They don't know what would happen if they chased them. Would they be able to find them? Would they be able to overcome them? Would they be able to, to fight them and defeat them and take back their thing? I mean, there's a moment of real, not just panic, but helplessness that you can sense in this whole story. It's powerful. And that sense of irony is just deep there. Man, David, you've been doing this for a year to the same people, and now, I learned this in the King James Version, Numbers 32, 23. You can remember it that way, but I learned in the King James Version, be sure your sins will find you out. Because we all have in our mind that like we can do things, we could sin, we could do, give a little bit here, compromise a little bit there, do this. And no one will know about it, it's just a skeleton you kind of bury in your closet. But most skeletons come out in your life and all your skeletons come out after death. And the day of judgment, all our, all our closets are going open. And everything that you thought you could hide is well known, is well known. Be sure your sins will find you out. Violence begets violence. That's what we see with David here. He went and he pursued violence and violence came home to us. Remember your mom saying violence never solved? Oh man, your parenting is a sketchy group here in Portage. Uh, yeah, violence never solved anything. I remember my mom telling me that anyway. Of course, you know, the, the snappy comeback is, you know, if, unless you bury him real deep, right? But David's been burying him real deep. Real deep. But there's a principle about violence. There's a principle about sins finding you out. There's a principle about justice. And if you're a man of blood, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And that's what's happening here. This is a good principle to say this is why God's people are not violent people. We are called to be even-tempered. We're called to be patient. We're called to be peacemakers, right? These are the kinds of things we're called to be. Uh, David has sought a different place, and uh, the, the, the chickens have come to home to roost. The second thing I see at work here is how fear and pain operate. Do you see that? Is David to blame for the Amalekites' invasion? Probably not. If he is, he is just as guilty as all those other dudes, Right? Because they were all doing the same thing. And, but what happens? They start looking at David to stone David. right? Because hurt people, it's cliche, but it's true. Hurt people hurt people. When we're hurting, when we're afraid, when we're upset, we look to place that blame or that, 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 that guilt or we look to, to place all of our negative emotions at someone. This is what kills marriages almost all the time. There's something going on under the curtain, under, under, kind of an undercurrent, and it's being placed upon one another rather than seeking to solve the problem, rather than seeking God. Uh, we tend to do what these guys are thinking about doing right here, stoning someone. There's a deeper truth here, a deeper truth. What is missing in chapter 27, 28, and 29 is that for the past year and a half, a year and four months, David has not spoken to God as far as we can tell. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of the Lord. There's no mention of David seeking him. David is just making decisions after decision after decision, which was leading him over a year. I mean, think about this. 
David has walked away from God, walked in sin for over a year. But this moment of tragedy strikes, this moment of pain strikes, this moment of sheer and utter helplessness strikes, and it finally dawns on David, I need God. And what does David do? He strengthens himself in the Lord. I don't know where you are in your life today. Perhaps you've been running from God for longer than a year. Use David as 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 an example for your own life. Use David as somebody who has done tragic, tragic mistakes, not just walked away from God. Merrick and I were talking. Merrick was like, if if David was around today, we would be trying this guy for war crimes. I mean, that's that's real talk. That's, That's what we would do today. He was massacring people. He had walked away from God. I don't know what you guys have done. I don't know how terrible you are. I'm sure you're very, all very terrible people. But you do not hold a candle to what we're talking about with David. And you think you can't come back to God? If there's a way for David to come back to God, to strengthen himself in the Lord, there's hope for you. So use this as a moment, use this as a day. Don't let the today slip by. Don't let a lie pop in your mind, but use today. Look at David square in the face and say, if there's hope for him, there's hope for me. And strengthen yourself, the Lord. Write your relationship with God now before it is too late. Because next week we'll talk about Saul and it's too late for him. It's too late for him. David does what we haven't seen in a year, and finally we're grateful to see, we see in verse 7 that he calls Abathar, the high priest, the son of Ahimelech. He says, bring me the ephod, which is a fancy word for vestments or ties. I don't know, whatever, whatever you know, churchy thing you wear. I don't usually wear a tie, I only wear a tie on Sundays. And so this is, this is the equivalent of our ephod, I guess. And Ephod was a kind of a robe thing they would put on. It was, it was, it was David's way of saying, we're going to have a worship service right now. We're going to have worship service right now. And verse 8 is very important. Underline that as well. Do it in the Pew Bible too. Somebody needs to see that. And David inquired of the Lord. David prays. He strengthens his, 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 his faith. He strengthens himself in God. He writes his relationship with God. And then what does he do? Now, you come home and your house is on fire. All right? You left your husband, your wife, your kids, your cousins, I don't know, whoever matters most, your dog, I don't know, whatever matters most to you. That's in the house and it's on fire. You go in the house, you realize that somebody's kidnapped it, somebody's taken them away, but they've left a trail behind. Do you stop and pray, or do you get in your car, bounce on the devil, and put the pedal to the floor? Like, what do you do? We go. I mean, I just get in the car, and I go. Like, I chase these guys down. But David stops. He stops and asks God, what should I do? What should I do? And that's intense faith, isn't it? That's sort of like, that really, that's like an intense lesson learned, God. I've been making a lot of decisions. I've been jumping. I've been doing. I've been moving. And I haven't stopped to ask you on this, which is perhaps the most important decision that I'm going to make. Where are my wife? Where is my kids? He inquires of the Lord. And God answers him. And this bothers me. Uh, I don't know why it bothered me so much this week. Um, 
Because that's just not enough detail for me. That's all it says. He answered him. So God answers David's prayer. How does God do that? Is it a big booming voice? Is it like some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling? Is it a vision? Does Abathar's eyes like roll up in the back of his head and he starts speaking Latin? I mean, what happens? How does God answer him? How does that happen? Uh, what's interesting to me is I was, well, what kind of convicted me as I was reading it, and I know this is just three little words, and it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal, but it meant something to me this week as I began to realize that I rarely believe, I rarely practice my prayers as though I believe God will answer them. I pray to God, I say amen, and off we go. If Emery comes up to me, as she frequently does, my seven-year-old little monster, and she says, Daddy, I want some dessert, and then just turns and runs away, do you give it to her? No. Why not, parents? Well, we forgot the please, but let's just say that there's a please. She didn't wait for an answer, did she? Even in that, there's this kind of this, this assumption. There's a, there's a well, do, do you want to hear from me or what? What, ha- what happened there? Or she comes up to me and she just says, I want ice cream, 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 I want ice Because kids do that, right? Have, you, have your kids done this? Like, just repeat it over and over again. And, and when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how we pray. Like, we pray all over and over and over again. Ask the same thing, but when are you going to take a breath and let God answer you? And it it occurred to me that this is exactly maybe what Jesus was getting at when he said, don't think you're going to move God because of your many words. He already knows what you need. So let your prayers be simple, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he kind of moves forward through that. Maybe it's not so much, maybe it's stop annoying God with the same prayers over and over again and wait to hear his answer. So when we pray, what I'm putting into my own prayer life is more of a space after that amen. To pray intentionally with a belief and a practice that God will answer prayers. And I don't know if we'll have eyes rolling back in the head in Latin speaking or booming voices or warm fuzzies. I'm not sure how God answers every single time. Uh, but if we give God space, it seems that the scriptures are pretty, pretty certain God will answer our prayers. David does this, and God answers his prayer. He says, go get your family back. Go on, get them. Now, uh, as, they, as they chase, so we got the map. I do have the map. Did I have another map? I did. You don't need that now, though. Okay, so uh, they're here at Ziklag, right? And, and there's, you know, little you know footprints in the sand and whatnot. And so they're chasing the Amalekites. So two things happen as they move from Ziklag south to, uh, to, to catch these Amalekites. The first thing is they've been on the road for a long time. Not only did, had they marched up to Aphek with the Philistines, but they marched back. And if it took them three days back, it probably took them close to three days to get there. So they've been on the move for six days, for a week or so. And 200 of the men are wiped out. And they say, you know what, y'all just keep going. We're going to hang out with the luggage. So they don't go any further. As they move south... They find an Egyptian who is kind of providentially left behind because he got ill. They feed him. They get him well. They say, hey, show us where the Amalekites are. And he says, cool, just don't kill me. And they, cool, they do that. So they they don't kill him. They take him with them. 
so they meet up with the, with the Amalekites in verse 16, and they're partying pretty hard. They've, they've, made, they've made a good, got a lot of loot, and so they're very excited about this. So his 400 dudes kind of rush in and attack these Amalekites, so put on your best, like, brave heart screaming running scene in your mind and that's what we've got david goes in and they and they destroy these amalekites and the bible is clear to 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 lay out for us and say that everything that was taken uh, was returned in fact and then some so so everything is returned no one died Uh, this was a moment of wake-up call for david it didn't cost him as dearly as it could have rebellion against god always costs us Sin always costs us. There's always a cost there. Well, two things happen on the way home. As they head home, the 400 guys who actually went to battle meet up with the 200 guys who stayed you know, behind ordering takeout and watching Netflix. And they say, why should we give these guys anything? We did the fighting. We did the fighting. We did the putting our lives on the line. Why should we give them anything at all, and here is an interesting conundrum that David, who's got this newfound faith, this new righted relationship with God, he's he's now living uh, as uh, as principled man, and he's got a decision: Do I tick off four hundred people, or do I tick off two hundred people? You ever been in a situation like that? It doesn't matter what you say; you're going to be wrong, right? It doesn't matter what you say; you're going to offend everyone in the room. And those are moments of real character. Those are moments where you actually are forced to decide. Since it doesn't matter what you say because everyone's going to be upset with you if you say it. There's a moment for you to sort of stand up and just say principally what you believe is right. We don't do enough thinking. All right, you notice that about our culture? We don't talk a lot about right and wrong anymore. We don't talk a lot about that. What is moral and what is immoral and why is it moral and why is it immoral? I'm sure they don't teach ethics in school. They, I know they don't teach logic, right? We don't, we don't do these kinds of actual grounding educational things. It is up to y'all as parents and grandparents and Sunday school teachers and people who just care about the kids in this church to show them and to, to teach them uh, right, right from wrong. David is forced into a decision that is going to make somebody upset. How will David choose? Will he decide practically, pragmatically? What will, with a 400, because 400 is more than two, so if you're going to tick somebody off, you know, make it the smaller group. He decides instead to be a principled man. Verse 23, you shall not do so, my brothers. Uh, So again, verse 23, this is page 252 if you're using the Pew Bible as I am. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given to us. Notice that David has now recognized the principle. It wasn't mine, and it's certainly not yours. It is God's, and God has given it to us. And because he's given it to us, we have no right to withhold from the band, right? So this then becomes, in verse 25, a law in Israel from that time to the time of, it says, that, to this day. But that would be when this was actually written down. So, so from that. So David creates laws built upon justice because he has righted his relationship with God. He has righted his relationship with God and now he is able to right his relationship with other people. You see that here. He does this further. This is the second thing that happens. He takes a bunch of his spoils and he sends it to the Kenites, to the Judites, 
uh, and to uh, some other people in this area. And if you look carefully as you read this on your own over the week, the list of people that he gives it to are the people he had lied about, as we talked about last week, to King Achish. So David is trying to write his interactions with other people because he's writing his relationship with God. He's writing his interactions with other people. And now he is trying to write his relationship with his family, with his people. Because a principle that we see coming out of this is that if we write our relationships with God, write our relationship with God, the other relationships begin to fall in line. They begin to fall in line. So if your marriage is messed up, if your family is messed up, if your friendships are messed up, every time I have seen this happen, it is because our relationship with God is messed up. And when that gets fixed, the dominoes kind of fall. Does that make sense? So as we kind of wrap this all up, I want to give you um, five things. I know that sounds like a lot. It's not. This is really simple stuff. Um, five things. There's two things off the cuff I love about this story. And, and again, I know I didn't read all of it, and so I, I, I expect, I, I actually expect this. I expect that you will go home and read the fullness of the text because we were only able to deal with maybe 12 of the verses. So go home and read the text. Um, but one of the things I love about this story is I take great comfort in how shady David is. <laughs> I just do, because uh, I am, right? I mean... I, I love the stories of the Bible that if you, if you read Hebrews 11 and you kind of read that big, long list of heroes and you actually look at the lives of these people, they made some pretty huge mistakes. And I think we as people are to see that even though those mistakes are made, even though those sins are lived out, even though tragedy happened, I mean, David, this stuff that we talk about, David, is tragic, dark stuff. And yet we're still able to call him a man after God's own heart. Why are we able to do that? Certainly he wasn't being after God's own heart when he participated in these massacres. No, he's a man after God's own heart because when God says no, David listens. What about you? When God says no, do you listen? So I take great comfort in the fact that there are complicated characters in the Bible because we're all complicated as well. Life is difficult. God's grace is big it's really big but it isn't to be taken lightly it's to be taken seriously the second thing is that this to me stands out and I, I know i've shared this before this is just another instance in which i see the bible as something that can be trusted because if you're making up stories about the great heroes of your faith you probably make up better characters than david right you probably make them look better than they are uh, and yet the Bible pulls no punches about the things that David was up to. It doesn't pretend or whitewash lives. Instead, it shows in glaring black and white the great errors of the heroes of our faith. That tells me something about the importance of truth to the Bible authors as they wrote down the experiences of these men and women of God. Okay, the next three things, they run together. So those two things run together, and my next three things, there they are. This is principally where we let the rubber hit the road in your own personal life. And, and I know this is an old sermon. I know that this is a message that you've heard before. I know this is like nothing new to you. And again, this is why church is so important. Because it isn't that it's new to you, it's that it's so easy to forget. 
we're aliens here. We're strangers in a strange land who believe strange things about a strange guy named Jesus and a stranger God who sent him to die and to rise and to show us the way to God. And it is easy to get sucked in and to lose sight of the things that matter most, as we said earlier, of putting God first, of allowing him to rule over every single aspect of your life. And that's hard, and we get lost. And when we get lost, we have an opportunity to be found. And today is that opportunity for you. Today is that opportunity for you. However, we used to say, we used to call it backsliding. You remember that old word? I don't know. I don't hear that anymore. I remember that was like a camp thing. It was talked about backsliding. You know, Christians who, who were walking right and we were doing everything just like God would want us to do. And then, and then you know, then we mess up. The text that really hit me this week was this text from Hebrews chapter 12 where we're told not to be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Like, just what was right in front of him. Even though it had all these other implications that he would lose out on all this other blessedness, he only cared about what was in front of his face. He only cared about feeding his mouth, his stomach. He cared about the moment, the now, and he was ready to forget everything else to get that moment, to get that pleasure. That is sin. That is walking away from God. Don't be like that. Because we know that afterward he desired to inherit that blessing. Esau changed his mind. He regretted it. But he was rejected. For he found there was no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That there are moments where it is too late, and that is not this moment. This is the moment when you can right the relationship with God. When you can write the relationship with your spouse or your friend or your family or your kids where you can let God take hold of your life and transform it. And we do that not just by strengthening ourselves in God, but by seeking him, by inquiring from him, by asking him, by instead of moving in instinct, moving in prayer, God, should I do this? God, should I do this? God, thank you for this. Like, God wants to hear, do you understand? God, the God of all the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who thunders from the heavens, who's like a flaming, living fire, wants to hear from you, wants you to inquire from him about what you should do next. And if you seek God, you will find him. If you seek God, you will find him. Therefore, let us be grateful, for we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. With innumerable angels in festal gathering. That means the angels are gathered together to feast. And the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And God, the judge of all, and to the spirits that are made perfect. And Jesus, the mediator of the, the new covenant. All of them together. This is our inheritance. But let us then offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This week, strengthen yourself in God. Seek God that you might find him. Let's stand as we sing.